Hi, welcome to Two Towns Over. This show is made possible by our patrons. If you want to monetarily support the show, we're at patreon.com slash two towns over. If you can't support us financially, then you can support us algorithmically by liking, rating, and sharing. Thanks. Enjoy the show. might be recorded <laughs> think of me as the fucking cia asshole oh, that would have been so perfect oh it's worse than the cia i don't care if the cia knows <laughs> are you recording now yes okay good <laughs> that's a better opening <laughs> I, I, the cia can know what i think all the time but not about you know, like I would love the CIA to know what I think about that. I'll have a conversation with my with my private CIA agent that mm-hmm. monitors all of my. Well, it's your NSA agent who is yeah. there, who is in reporting turn a to part of a team, a, a who CIA is agent to... that has like a hundred. Yeah, 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 I got it. Code a name Alexa. I'm just saying. Shh, she'll hear you. Sorry. <laughs> she'll turn off the studio light. <laughs> Don't be impolite. Don't be impolite. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's fucking different. That would have real repercussions if that was on a recording. <laughs> So, welcome everybody to... Soon, soon you'll get to say shit like that whenever you want. Yeah. Soon, 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 soon. But, welcome everybody to Campfire Tales. I am Father Donathan. I'm, uh... I, you know. <laughs> okay. I'm Josh, also known as the Mean Bean Monster. Oh, nice. I and... just read my monster can. I had nothing. Mm. Speaking <gasps> of, you said you read. Uh, apparently... <laughs> Like, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> no. You know what? I'm, I'll, ju- I'll just decide at the end of the episode now. I don't know. I'll change my shit every week. You don't know. No, Cindy was really, really happy because a few weeks ago, I don't know what episode she was on because she uh-huh. was trying to catch up. Uh, you made a comment about your favorite book series was the Unbound series. Unwound, Unwound. yeah. She's a huge fan of the Unwound I series as well. Love what Unwound is Unwound so much? It's the one I've told you about a bunch of times. You probably where have. it's about like a dystopian future where a second American Civil War is fought over abortion, mm-hmm. and as part of the the outcome of it is they present this horrific and this is spoilers. They present this horrific thing called the Unwind Accord. Um, and it was presented almost as a, like, look how ridiculous you're being because you won't come to a compromise. This is what we'll be looking at. And they throw the unwind accord on the table, which says that between the ages of 13 and 18 or something like that, it's, it may be younger, maybe 10 and 18. Um, you can opt to have your child unwound. Are you having flashbacks? Did you maybe read one of these? Say more. And the unwinding process uses every part of the body. Yes, I have. And it's a good series. Yes, it uses every part of the body. And technically, God. technically, you don't die oh because God. every part of you is distributed. Yeah, you and don't use. Oh my God! Yes, so it's technically not murder. They call it living in a divided state. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
And so the story follows. I feel follows... like we remember one of the, or we follow one of the ki- somebody who does get unwound. Yes, there is a terrifying it's chapter, awful. which is uh, from the perspective of a kid who is being unwound, because you have to be awake for the process. Yeah, it's it's fucking. It's maybe one of the best dystopian novels I've yeah, ever read. Yeah, I love, love, and I've read a lot. Love of them. it. It's also like very lightly cyberpunk. Yeah, because they're making all these body mods that are like legal when you're 16 or whatever. Like you can get a tattoo when you're a kid. Yeah, because it's such a minor body mod compared to like changing your eyes and shit. Yeah. So, kind of fits. It's a kind of a gross and morbid. I've always compared it to um, just to sorry. I've always compared it to um, the Uglies series, yeah, mm-hmm. because of the lightly cyberpunk. Like it all feels like technology we could have, not that far in the future. Maybe not like yeah. in my lifetime, but like not that long after. Um, mm-hmm. What with like the eye mods that like make your eyes into a clock or something, like you get moving tattoos and shit. So, um, in honor of the fact that all three of us have some theater background. Okay. Some more than others. I've been uh, re-listening to <clears throat> Hamilton lately. <laughs> I, I have a, an extensive theater background by proxy. Yeah. And that's not like a joke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about the Grand Guggenau. The Grand Guggenau? The Grand Guggenau. It might, I may be pronouncing it. It's French. What? How? Well, I'm going to tell. So the Grand Guggenau, which is French for. I, I was going to say, can you spell it? G-U-I-G-N-O-L. Guignol. That's that's the Guignol. I'm not trying. You know the Guignol. The, the, the Grand Guignol. Guignol. <laughs> so, that sounds like a re- relative of the Knights of Is there me. not a pronunciation button? There is, but yeah, well, fuck it. It doesn't matter. Guignol's better. The problem is, uh, I'm plugged in, so it won't let me hear through the speakers. Okay, so La Théâtre du Grand Guignol, which is the best French I can do, which Probably is Guignol, uh, Guignol, something stupid, uh, which is actually French for the Theater of the Great Puppet. Uh, was a theater in the Pigalle district of Paris. From its opening in 1897 until its closing in 1962, it specialized in naturalistic horror shows. Mm. Now, its name is often used as a general term for graphic, amoral horror entertainment. Its name, which is pronounced... God damn it. Guignol, French. Guignol. Grand Guignol. French. Guignol? Guignol. Uh-huh. What? So, Grand Guignol. Guignol. Whatever. Guignol. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, Amor Horror Entertainment, which was a genre popular from Elizabethan and Jacobian theater. For instance, Shakespeare's Titus Andronicus and Webster's The Duchess of Malphi and the White Devil to today's splatter films. Damn. I know what those are. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's it. So I the theater was are. founded in 1897 by Oscar Metinier, or Metinier, who planned it as a space for naturalist performances. With 293 seats, the venue was the smallest in Paris. A former chapel, the theater's previous life was evident in the boxes, which looked like confessionals, and in the angels over the mm-hmm. orchestra. Although the architecture created frustrating obstacles, the design that was initially a predicament ultimately became beneficial to the marketing of the theater. The opaque furniture and gothic structure placed sporadically on the walls of the building exude a feeling of eeriness from the moment of entrance. 
People came to this theater for an experience, not only to see a show. The audience at the theater endured the terror of the shows because they wanted to be filled with strong feelings of something. Many attended the shows. Damn. <laughs> Sounds like I go to these shows to feel anything. <laughs> <laughs> Many attended the shows to get a feeling of sexual arousal. Well, that's not a good oh. sign. So underneath the balcony were boxes originally built for nuns to watch church services. Uh-oh. You you putting this between the Gein episodes on purpose? No, technically the uh, the breatharian. This will would be. Hold on. No, breatharian will come out yeah, this week. You're right. No, but yeah, I, I planned <laughs> this all along. So uh, <laughs> out where, <laughs> this episode that we pulled out of our ass was five <laughs> minutes before the mics got turned on. So yeah, unexpectedly causing me to air out my dirty laundry on <laughs> a recording. Oops. So underneath the balcony were boxes that were originally built for nuns to watch church services that were available for theater goers to rent during performances because they would get so aroused by the action happening on stage. It has been said that audience members would get so boisterous in the boxes that actors would sometimes break character and yell something such as keep it down in there. Conversely, this don't, sounds like a dope ass theater. I'm not going to lie. Don't make a Pee Wee Herman joke. Don't make a Pee Wee Herman joke. Don't make a Pee Wee Herman joke. Too late. <laughs> so conversely, there were audience members who could not physically handle the brutality of the actions taking place on stage. This is all bullshit. No, this is a real place. No, it's a real place. But I'm saying it's it's got to be exaggerated. It's no. maybe exaggerated a bit, but like this I'm sure was, it was rowdy. This was around what time period? This is the 1897. The 18, when it was yeah, okay. So pre 1900s, entertainment was rare. There, there's a reason that like those old Shakespearean plays were like five and six hours long. It was because you would have to go make a whole day of it because there was fucking nothing else to do. Plus, you got to think in our, you know, our day and time, we have things like Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the Third. We've seen all of that. In they, 1897, they didn't see the shit that I'm going to be explaining. No, they saw worse real life versions. Oh, okay. on a yeah, I was going to say yeah, that. But okay, but if it's real life that you see, going to the theater and seeing it. Yeah. Well, what I'm saying is, is entertainment wasn't that rare. It was pretty rare, but it wasn't like. You wouldn't have had, like, especially because of people like Shakespeare making their plays for common people. Mm -hmm. Like, it was, be it became a lot more accessible. And yeah, you would make a day of it, but we still do that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like, I just feel like. I I am imagining a dope ass rowdy horror, yeah, repo, <laughs> basically. Yeah, and <clears throat> I think that's dope. And there are people today who would faint if they watched Repo. Yeah, sure. You know what that's I'm saying? True. So I don't know. I feel like majority of people were like, "This is awesome!" Like, and I like a when, lot of people were like, oh. "I like when Don has to walk away and then we have to vamp uh, for the whole time." When, yeah, when the conversation was just about to end and we were going to get back to the if content, you fuckers would quit pointing out and just continue talking. You guys will sit here and ramble for fifteen fucking <laughs> minutes. <laughs> you somehow find we are we are neurodivergently communicating that oh we're done and you're like ah oh, I shall walk away now. It's. Very very good. It's so funny to me. I just think it's funnier to acknowledge it. Yeah, 
yeah. That, that so, was a comedic choice. Frequently, the special effects would be too realistic, and often an audience member would faint or vomit during performances. Theater director Max Maury used the goriness to his advantage by hiring doctors to be at performances as a marketing ploy. I, 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 am, I am kind of imagining the... Wow. I am kind of imagining it as sort of akin to some of the more raunchy performances of the Rocky Horror Show that I've been to. Sure. Where it's not necessarily the same, because Rocky Horror is like, is horror in the same way that like, I don't know. I don't have a fucking comparison. Well, it's it's intentionally like self-aware in the script. It yeah. is like B-movie horror. Right. It's so it's supposed to be goofy and raunchy. Yeah. But like imagine fucking Don Quixote that rowdy but way more gothic in sure. an authentic fucking gothic building. Yeah. That rowdiness would definitely overwhelm some people. Uh and maybe the maybe the um Special effects were very realistic. I don't know. I've seen some pretty damn realistic shit on stage. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so the theater's peak was between World War One and World War Two, when it was frequented by royalty and celebrities in evening dress. In typical grant, in a typical grand, oh yeah, and weak ass royals will fucking faint at anything. <laughs> in a typical grand guignol, oh, fucking hell, I'm gonna say guignol, guignol. Performance, patrons would see five or six short plays, all in a style that attempted to be brutally true, true to the theater's naturalistic ideals. The most popular and best known were the horror plays, which featured a distinctly bleak worldview and gory special effects, particularly mm-hmm. in their climaxes. The horror depicted at the theater were generally not supernatural. Rather, these plays often explored altered states like insanity, hypnosis, or panic. To heighten the effect... <laughs> So it's like hair, but horror. Yeah. <laughs> to heighten the effect, the horror plays were often uh, alternated with comedies, a lineup referred to as a hot and cold shower. So it's wow. hair and horror. Yeah. yeah Got it's, it. It's hair and then like Rocky Horror if Rocky Horror was actually scary. Yeah. Right. So examples of the theater's <laughs> horror shows included... <laughs> Rocky Horror if it was Zack Schneider. <laughs> examples of the theater's horror shows included Le Laboratoire... Torre des Hallucinations. That's, I got it, Insane Asylum, sure. The Laboratory of Hallucinations. When a doctor finds his wife's lover in his operating room, he performs a graphic brain surgery, rendering the adulterer a hallucinating semi-zombie. Now insane, the lover-slash-patient hammers a chisel into the doctor's brain. That's Uh, cool as shit. (laughs) Damn. Un crime das uns maison de fuss. Uh, two hags in an insane asylum use scissors to blind a pretty young fellow inmate out of jealousy. Lo, lo bre- ah, the horrible passion. Fuck it. A nanny strangles the children in her, in her care. And Le Bassier dans la nuit. A young woman visits the man whose face she horribly disfigured with acid, and he obtains his revenge. Now, audiences waned in the years following World War II, and the theater closed its doors in 1962. Management attributed the closure in part to the fact that the theater's faux horrors had been eclipsed by the actual events of the Holocaust two decades earlier, saying we could never equal Buchenwald, uh, said Charles Newman. Oh. Oh. Wow. What? Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
Hmm. All of that will come into. You'll understand. You'll get that. Yeah. You'll get it. Um, continuing before the war, everyone. Some bitch, ain't it? Yeah. <laughs> before the war, everyone felt that what was happening on stage was impossible. Now we know that these things and worse are possible in reality. Now the building still exists and is currently occupied by the International Visual Theater. <laughs> I'm sorry. So sorry. I don't know what just happened in my brain, but I was thinking of the Witcher and Butchers. So the Bitcher of Buchan Falls. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. It is currently occupied by the International Visual Theater, a company devoted to presenting plays in sign language. Uh, that's just a guy in Buchenwald who complains a whole lot. (laughs) (laughs) So while the original theater attempted to present naturalistic horrors, the performances would seem melodramatic and heightened to today's audiences. For for this reason, the term is often applied to films and plays that have a stylized nature with heightened acting, melodrama, and theatrical effects such as Sweeney Todd, Sleepy Hollow, Quills, and the Hammer Horror films that went before them. Dope play to see live, you guys. Yeah. It's so good. Um, whatever happened to Baby Jane, Hush Hush Sweet sweet Charlotte, Whatever Happened to Aunt Alice, What's the Matter with Helen, Night Watch, and Whoever Slew Auntie Rue form a sub-branch of the genre called Grand Dame Guggenau for its use of aging A-list actresses in sensational horror films. Geen. Y'all. Geen, y'all. There you go. Hey. Hey, look at that. Now, audiences had strong reactions to the new disturbing themes the horror plays presented. One of the most prevalent themes staged on the Grand Guignol was the demoralization and corruption of science. The, quote, evil doctor was a recurring trope in the horror shows performed. Oh, really? Is this one of the earliest? uh, Well, probably not earliest, but. (laughs) Bless you. Thanks. But like mad scientist type? Yeah. Yeah. Probably some of the earliest, like, real popularization of it. Huh? What was it? The evil doctor trope. What, no, it? no, no. What was the sentence you said? I'm sorry. The evil doctor was a recurring trope in the horror shows performed. Okay, gotcha. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Like, so, well, Frankenstein was... That's, that's I was about to say. Frankenstein was what, 1800s? 18 yeah. Something, yeah. Something like that. I'm going to continue while you type. So the popular show, The System of Dr. Gouldron and Professor Plume... By Andre Delord displays the depiction of a doctor typical oh, wow. of the theater. What? Eighteen eighteen. Wow. Damn. Yeah. Um, that book holds the fuck up. Yeah. It sure does, man. That's a good ass book. So Doctor Godron is portrayed as manic, insane, unreliable. He is seen pacing nervously and jumping on a desk and gesticulating. Later, Lord depicts the scientist as violent, with Godron attempting to carve out an eye and then bite the hands of guards. During the time, curiosity and skepticism ravaged science and medicine. The depiction of scientists at the Grand Guignol reflected the public attitude of fear and disdain. Medical science held a reputation for terror of terror and peculiar infamy. Middle class Parisian That's society weird. never been in that kind of society before. <laughs> Middle class Parisian society believed science existed in a world of frivolity and falsehood. Can't believe that. Whereas it's art too unrealistic, bud. Whereas art existed in a world of honesty. Huh. Poet huh. Matthew Arnold um, is an exemplary lens to use in order to, to understand these sympathies. Some comedian said that when you look at comedians and artists for your truth, uh, the shit is about to fall apart. So, like, yeah. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, your, your news 
entertainment networks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, not a great sign, you guys. So the themes of the Grand Guignol introduced into the horror genre affected how the genre exists today. The Grand Guignol's introduction of naturalism into horror, quote, unmasked brutality and t- t- the brutality of contemporary culture. Previously, horror served as escapism, dealing with the supernatural and unrelatable. After the theater introduced relatable topics into the genre, the audience could visualize the plots taking place and thus experience greater fear. There is a similar line of viewing horror movies um, by president and what kind of government is in charge. I don't remember because I'm not really good at zombie movies or vampire movies and which one means which, but like, sure. I think it's if a, if a, no, I do remember if like a liberal person is in charge, zombie movies are bigger uh, because the zombie movies, no, 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 vampire movies. I don't remember it. Liberals are vampires. Zombies are conservatives is the basic theory. Um, Conservatives being generally more violent or perceived as such, shut the fuck up, get out of my ass. Um, (laughs) Like, or, and more mindless, while the vampires are regarded as, like, the sexy, cool guy who actually wants to induct you into their cult. Like, liberal ass, but sinister. And, like, so it's whenever... I guess Twilight was popularized during Obama. Mm. No, that was that was Bush. Bush. Twilight got big during Bush. The books or the movies? The books, I think. Mm. <laughs> the whole room reaches for phones. <laughs> the first movie was released in 2008. Yo. So that was Obama. Yeah, so, yeah, but the books were during uh, Bush. But we're talking... I know, we're, we're talking yeah. movies, yeah. But yeah, it's like literally... It's like basically whoever's in charge, the you get, that you're presenting the horrors of what they are. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of the basic thing. And that... that that It's like a... It's, there's political ideology in horror movies if you look... Co- Close oh, enough, you know always. It's not that deep for some of them, but for a lot of them, it's surprising. So the Grand Guignol transformed the horror plot into something the audience could feel personally. Horror became a vehicle for ideas and philosophy where deep insights gave way to spectacle and spectacle to violence and gore until in the end, little was left but the gore. Today, the horror genre begins with optimism and hope, which wither before random, chaotic, and inevitable violence. A lot of, a, a lot of, like, a lot of horror can sort of be judged, for me, based, at least, on how good it is, based on does it have something to say. Like, yeah. it's not that the, it's not that the spectacle has outgrown the ideologies and messages, it's just that they are using those tools, at least in a modern setting they're using those the those tools of spectacle to say a thing right so that's i think my my go-to example for that would be uh the babadook 
Yeah. The Babadook on its own is kind of a silly movie. Yeah. It's it's not a good horror movie. It's meh. But the meaning behind it is really cool because it's about repressed grief and moving on. And It Follows is about like, I don't remember, but it's like either depression or an STD. It's STDs. Is it? It's actually a little bit more complex than that. Um, it's about loss of innocence. Yeah. I remember that game theory or that mm-hmm. film theory or whatever. Was it? No, film theory did. uh, So maybe film theory had the one about the loss of innocence, but I watched uh, a video essay about it. Oh, it might be. Fuck! I know what you're talking about. I know what I know the fucking. Uh I know exactly what video. Uh I I don't. Damn! I know we have the same YouTube taste. (laughs) Yep. We gotta find it now. Oh damn! Okay. Anyway. So, the Grand Guignol flourished briefly in London in the early 1920s. Under the direction of Jose Le- Levy. In my opinion, horror is bad when the message is, don't have sex, kids. Yeah. Like, if you're 18, don't do it. Uh, the Fr- Freddy will kill you, or whatever. Yeah. So it flourished briefly where it attracted the talents of Sybil Thorndike, Noel Coward, and Richard Hughes. Thorndike it- is such a dope name. <laughs> and a series of short English Grand Guignol films... Using original screenplays, not play adaptations, was made at the same time, directed by Fred Paul. Several of the films exist at the BFI National Archive. That's what we would, if you were in D&D, you'd use a Thorndike to fight water elementals. <laughs> yeah. So the Grand Guignol was revived once again in London in 1945 under the direction of Frederick Whitney, where it ran for two seasons at the Granville Theater. These included premieres of Whitney's own work, as well as adaptations of French originals. In recent years, English director-slash-writer Richard Madzda has reintroduced New York audiences to the Grand Guignol. Madzda? Mazda. Like Like Mazda? Sorry, Mazda. Sorry. Uh, His acting troupe, The Queen's Players, have produced six main stage productions of Grand Guignol plays, and Mazda is writing new plays in the classic Guignol style. The sixth production, Theater of Fear, introduced Delord's famous adaptation of Poe's The System of Dr. Tar and Professor Feather, as well as two original plays. <laughs> Why but, are they always... It's Dr. Somebody and somebody else. It's like a fucking morning talk radio show. As well as two original plays, Double Crossed and The Good Death, alongside The Telltale Heart. Mm. In 1963, Mondo film Echo, original title Il Mondo de Note Numero Tres, directed by Gianni Proye, Proya, Proya, includes a scene which may have been filmed at the Grand Guignol Theater during its final years. The Swiss Theater Company, uh, yeah, a, I'm not even going to try it. The Swiss Theater Company has Fair. revisited the Grand Guignol genre in contemporary context since 2008. <laughs> the company staged a 2010, in 2010, a diptych, Impact and Dr. Incubus, or, yeah, Incubus, mm-hmm. Based on original text by Nicholas Yazgi and directed by Frederick Ozier. More than literal more than literal adaptations, the plays address violence, death, crime, and fear in contemporary contexts, while revisiting many trope of the original Grand Guignol corpus, often with humor. <clears throat> recently, uh, recently formed London-based Grand Guignol company Theatre of the Damned brought their first production to the Camden Fringe in 2010 and produced the award-nominated Grand Guignol 
in November of that year. In 2011, they staged <laughs> Revenge of the Grand Guignol at the Courtyard Theatre London as part of Lon the London Horror Festival. Between 2011 and 2016, Baltimore-based Yellow Sign Theatre performed Grand Guignol productions, including a heavily updated version of the system of Dr. Tar and Professor Feather, uh, as well as integrating Guignol elements into other performance forms. In November 2014, 86 years after the last show of Alfredo Sainati's play. Fucking uh, French. La Compagna <laughs> God del damn it, Grand French. Guignol. Founded in 1908. Sacre bleu. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they have a different word for everything. It's so, annoying. One of my favorite like memes almost is the fact that... Uh, so... There's an Assassin's Creed game that takes place in Paris. Mm -hmm. I don't remember which one. Mm. Is it one of the Ezio ones? No. No, it would have been one of the off-brand ones. No, it was a mainline game. No, but I mean, it's <clears> not <throat> like... the like Because there's a bunch, but like only one is number four or number five. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it was like... Um, Syndicate or... Syndicate or Brotherhood. one of those, yeah. Syndicate so, was London. That's right. Syndicate was London. It was the twins. Okay. Mm -hmm. then maybe Brotherhood. No, Brotherhood was Ezio. It wasn't Rogue. I've played Rogue. No, it wasn't Rogue. I don't know. Whatever. It took place in France. And Ubisoft is a French company. Right. They gave all the characters English accents. <laughs> yeah. Because they know that us damn Americans, we don't want them fuckers speaking French. No, it's because it's too hard for Americans to understand a French accent. Yes. Like an actual French accent is like pretty difficult to understand. Yeah. For an Eng for a person who is used to English speaking language, you know what I'm saying? Hearing mm -hmm. English is way different than French. Yeah. So yeah, so La Campagna del Grand Guignol, founded in 1908 and which has been the only example of Grand Guignol in Italy, the Convivio Darte Company presented in Milan, Grand Guignol de Milan, Le Cabaret des Vampires. The show was an original tribute to the Grand Guignol, a horror vaudeville with various horror and grotesque performances such as monologues, live music, and burlesque with a satirical black humor conduction. So there we go. Little history lesson on the Grand Guignol, now that we know how to actually pronounce it. The Guignol, yeah. yeah uh -huh. It only took Ruben half the show to tell me how to actually pronounce it. <laughs> Unity. Unity. Unity, god damn it. There you go. By the way, they have a mobile game now. Fuck that. It's called Jade. Fuck that, fuck them. But. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, that's going to wrap it up. Both, <laughs> both precise and accurate. <laughs> Uh, so that's going to wrap up this episode, guys. Uh, we've got nothing to talk about beyond that. F fuck Assassin's Creed Jade for some reason. <laughs> Look, uh, you know what a cash grab means. You just said it three or four times. They're just trying to get me to give them money before Mirage comes out in October, and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. That reminds me. What is it? I Skull will get and Mirage, Bones? though. For oh, I am going to get Mirage like day one. Mm -hmm. I'll probably pre-order it. Fuck Skull and Bones. That, that's an open beta testing now. What's Skull and Bones? That's their pirate game that everybody's pissed about because you can't get off the ship. Man, fuck that. Yeah. I, <laughs> precisely. <laughs> Which is sad because... Play Sea of Thieves. Fuck you. Ex <laughs> yes. 
See, I remember when Sea of Thieves came out, everybody was like, this game sucks. Uh, it kind of did at the time. Will can, can confirm, uh, I was among... <laughs> I was among the earliest of Pirate Legends. Are you in not a sea day of one? Thieves. I was a day one player. Yes, I have the day one eye patch in Sea of Thieves. There was no fucking content in that game. I still spent a hundred hours in it. I like bad games. Right. Okay. I also liked Cyberpunk when it first came out. Uh, I also liked Fallout seventy six. I like bad games. I put a hundred hours into it. It was not good. There were approximately four things to do in that entire... Sorry, five. <laughs> and two of them were time-limited. So, it, yeah, no, it wasn't It wasn't great when it first came out. Uh, now, it's downright incredible. Oh, it's amazing now. They had to release it about a year <coughs> earlier than they should have. So, people refer to the closed beta testing that they did as the alpha test. And people refer to the first year of Sea of Thieves as the open beta. Ah. Well, how do you know Skull and Bones won't end up being good? Fuck Skull and Bones. That's why. It, because Assassin's Creed, the in my opinion, as an Assassin's Creed fan, like, since fucking Altair, you know what I'm saying? I'm a day one Assassin's Creed fan. Yeah. And um, Black Flag was really good. Oh, yeah. I'm playing it right now. And again, they no literally of, none they of just the took the ship combat from Black Flag and made it an entire game. Yeah, that's do you all know, Skull and Bones is. Do you know what else has exactly Black Flag ship combat? What the the Odyssey? Oh, does it? Uh huh. Uh. It's just Greek ships instead. You get to upgrade it. It's kind of fun for a little while. In, well, in, in, in three had like the prototype ship combat. Yeah, yeah, I didn't like three. I did like four. People liked three a lot, and people liked four quite a bit. I loved three because I'm a big like American Revolution. Oh buff. no, I liked the game. I didn't like the ship combat. Oh, fair. Um, I didn't like the ship combat, and um, and I Origins. played that one on Wii U. Oh yeah, Origins. They didn't really care. Yeah, about Yeah, it was ship like combat. fucking driving a fucking tank through the water. Yeah, it was so slow. I played literally 10 minutes of <coughs> excuse me of what was this Origin, what was this midweek about up. again the grand Gino. the Gary oh, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> every time assassin's creed gets mentioned on this show <laughs> it's a 20 minute tangent. too much about assassin's creed <laughs> 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 it's one of our it's one of our defining characteristics as a <laughs> we could do an assassin's creed podcast probably off rip like, oh yeah <laughs> like but yeah, it would end up being like that Chris Farley bit. Do you remember that one part in Assassin's Creed uh, <laughs> uh, Black Flag when when you go to you step on the thing and you can like see the the, the yeah, yeah, yeah 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 when yeah. you climb on the totem and yeah. you see the fucking map right. happen that was cool because with the shadows that was cool. that was and because cool. then you got to do that enough times and then you get the the stuff yeah you get the Mayan suit yeah, uh-huh. yeah that's, that's and then cool. with that what that one does is with the with the bullets yeah it, yeah yeah and then and then when you uh, you like kill a Templar you know you have to you like get the key. When you had uh-huh. to like like hunt some leopards, you remember? Yeah, yeah that for, was cool. for the that capacity. Was yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it would devolve into. That would be pretty much. Because I'll be perfectly honest, I really don't understand the modern day storyline of Assassin's Creed. I mean, I know it has something to do with aliens and and the Templars. Uh, right now, the Ragnarok the, is coming. Um, yeah, Ragnarok is coming. So, but the right now, the Loki main, exists in the modern day now. The main oh, storyline is. Ahala, so I don't. Basically, the Oops. 
the gods are the for, like the original gods the, yeah, the people precursors that, yeah the precursors yeah. have some of them have found ways to survive we followed one story through Desmond yeah and then now each character is uh Part of one or more of those gods' stories as we they come into existence. We have to this episode. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's just I, I'm sorry. <laughs> hmm. It's actually a really good story. It's just long. Yeah, All right, decades so, long. It's just yeah. my favorite. That's my favorite kind. That's my favorite <laughs> kind. All right, guys. So thank you so much for listening to us ramble. Probably. Almost maybe you did i don't know yeah maybe you might have uh, who knows are you still listening why <laughs> <laughs> all right guys we'll talk to you later bye, bye. bye.